uh, a subject that really is one of the, the great themes that goes through the Bible. I remember years ago, Brother Harry Tennant talking about the, the great golden threads and that if we would simply tug on those golden threads, we could see this go all the way through the scriptures from Genesis through to Revelation. And that is the subject that we have before us today, is, is a subject that travels that whole span of time. So we're going to begin to look, really, before we get into the, the, seed of the, the, um, the seal of God and, and the mark of the beast, at, at kind of its predecessor. And that is the grand theme that travels through the scriptures that we have. And when we consider this, we have been in the book of Revelation. Let's just turn over to chapter 13, because we see here that there are two imprints. And this is really where we're going to end up. Um, in Revelation chapter 13, we have the first of them, which is in verse 16. We read, He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So that is the, the first of these two um, things that are impressed into people's minds. Now, the second one is what we just read about in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 2, where we read, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to the hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So during the Bible school, we plan to follow the story that begins really in, Gen in, in Genesis and it ends up here. And, and we're going to see this, this unraveling of this, this thread as it goes all the way through. We're going to see these two classes of people develop and practically consider how we can be either part of one or part of the other. And learn how that we can prepare ourselves to receive the seal of God. So let's go then to the beginning of the thread. We want to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and chapter 3, where we are introduced to this division that is going to take place and travel through the Bible. So Genesis chapter 3 and at verse 1, and here's what we read. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. And, and so she goes on and gives her confession of faith. But we just want to begin here to consider how this takes place. We have the serpent who is giving his alternate view. So he begins by questioning God. He puts doubt into the mind of the woman. And then what he does is he turns around and presents another idea. And so when we look at this, he gives his alternate view. And so the woman has given her confession of faith in verse 3. And he turns around in verse 4 and says to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So this is his alternate view to what God had said. And I think it's just an important thing to consider here that how the apostasy begins and how it works. 
It begins by questioning God. That's how it begins. It questions God and then it inserts another idea. Now, it's not entirely a false idea, but it's an idea that's more dangerous than an entirely false idea. It's an idea that's mixed with truth and, and a little bit of error is in there as well. Um, well, a lot of error maybe in a little bit of truth. And so, so here we have this alternate view that's put in and it's a great deception that is there for the woman because this thinking of the serpent is adopted by the woman and she is deceived and brought into sin. So verse 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and she gave it to her husband with her and he also ate. So this is the, the thinking of the serpent and it is taken in by the woman. So an idea is presented to her mind. She sees and she hears what he has to say and she adopts this as her line of reasoning. And that's really where mankind goes wrong. It's when he rejects God's idea or God's principles that are laid out and an alternate idea is introduced and then we listen to that alternate idea, we, we like what it says because it pleases our flesh, and we adopt that thinking, and of course it leads to death. And so that's what happened to the woman here. So when we just kind of analyze this for a moment, let's just take a look at what the serpent uh, was doing here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 to 3. So the first thing he does is he questions God. And he says, you know, hath God said. Now, what we want to do is just turn, if you would, in your Bible to, to um, uh, John chapter 8. So in this class, we're going to do a little bit of thumbing through the scriptures as we, we follow this through. John chapter 8, we find here that the comment that the Lord makes on what the serpent has to say. So John chapter 8 and the 44th verse, he says, You are of your father, the devil, the lust of your father will ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So here's the key is that the, the serpent did not speak the truth, but he spoke a lie that was of his own making. And so this is the problem is that that the lie is man-made or in this case it's serpent-made. It's, it's really the, the base nature that we have. It can present these ideas to us. Now come over to second of Peter um, chapter two here. Because we find here in verse um, 19, it should actually be in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. And, and this is Peter uh, discussing what the apostasy was doing in 2 Peter chapter 2. And um, while well, we can begin at verse 18, when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those who were clean escaped from them who lived in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same as he brought into bondage. So here's the key. They're appealing to the flesh 
and they are speaking words that are words that appeal to our natures, promising liberty, but actually bringing about corruption. And of course, they also promised equality. He said, you will be like the Elohim, knowing good and evil. So it, it's kind of interesting here because we see some seeds of some of, of the... Um, events, I guess you could say, that would happen much later in time. We have liberty and we have equality and we have this idea of fraternity, of, of being equal to the angels and, and some kind of a, a liberty that, that, you know, you will not surely die and, and things like that. So right in Genesis, we have the seeds of things that will show up much later in the book of Revelation. So this is what he does. He promises all these things, but of course the result is actually death, as we looked at in John uh, chapter 8 and verse 44. He does not speak the truth. He speaks lies of his own making, and those lies, of course, bring about death. And that is, of course, what we find with the serpent here. So there's an underlying theme then that that goes right through the book of Revelation. Now, we, we know this. This is a very much a, a, a simple first principle. We typically introduce uh, interested friends to this right at the very beginning, or our young people, when we talk about the grand theme. And it's verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, where God pronounces his sentence, and he tells us he's going to separate, right? He says, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heed, heel. Sorry. So here we see there's an enmity, a division that God puts in place between these two seeds. And that's going to flow all the way through the book of Revelation, or all the way through the Bible, I should say, to the book of Revelation. So this is a division that's going to travel the entire span of the scriptures. Now, what we want to do then is, is take a look at a little bit of the beginning of that development um, in our first class together, just to see how these things are going to roll out. So we're going to begin with looking at the apostasy that happened before the flood. So following the incident in the garden, it doesn't take long for these two seeds to manifest themselves. And the first occurrence, really, that we read of this, this enmity comes up in Genesis chapter 4. So let's just take a look at Genesis chapter 4. We find here at verse 3, it came to pass in the process of time that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to Yahweh, right? Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock uh, and the fat thereof, and Yahweh had respect to Abel and to his offering. So here we see that there are two ways of worshipping God, two offerings that are brought forward, and this is really the two seeds. We have Cain, and it's an interesting section to read in Elpis Israel where Brother Thomas talks about the idea of him being the result of the sin of Adam and Eve. They knew that they were naked, and the word yada for know there is the, the Hebrew idiom to know somebody intimately. Um, and so the implication is that he was literally the result of their, um, their sin. Um, but be that as it may, what's interesting here is that you have two people who are entirely in different mindsets. And they, they, they run on an entirely different way of doing things. Cain does what he thinks is the right thing. You could say he's the Frank Sinatra of the world. He does it his way, right? And, and there's a lot of people out there that take great pride um, in saying that they've done it their way. 
Um, well, not a good idea when it comes to the Bible. Come over to Hebrews chapter 11, um, because we, we read here um, of the, the, the view of the Almighty of these two things. We read in Genesis that Cain's offering or Abel's offering was accepted, uh, but Cain's wasn't. And we're not going to dig too deep into the whole story between the two of them, but we just want to have a look at how this played out. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 we read there, by faith, so this was Abel's motive, it was faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained the witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, uh, he being yet dead, yet speaketh. So here we have um, Abel, who has a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So Cain, though, I mean, he did bring an offering, and it's actually described to us if we come over to Jude. Um, Jude and verse 11 talks about the apostasy and those people that are of this kind of seed of the serpent line. And this is how they worship, because they do worship. They have a form of religion. Um, but it says there in verse 11 of Jude that basically this is what he says. Woe unto them, they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the other era of Balaam for a reward, perishing in the gainsaying of Korah. So this is described as the way of Cain. This is how he operates. Now come back to Colossians chapter 2, because this idea of having his own way and doing things his own way, um, again, it's not a it's not a worldly expression. That's the expression that the deity gives in describing this through the holy men that he inspired to speak through the Holy Spirit. So when we come to Colossians, we find here in Colossians chapter 2 and at verse 18, um, he says, let no man beguile you, uh, your reward. Sorry, um, let me just read the whole passage there. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Right? Not holding the head, and so he goes on. But here's the point. It's voluntary humility. So this is, this is things that men have decided. This is how they would like to worship God. So they're going to bring their offering, and they want to do it this way. And that's a huge thing we struggle with today, because the world just says, look, everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. And if you're going to bring an offering to God, well, God just should just accept it because, hey, you brought an offering. And of course, that's completely man-centered in its thinking. It's not about coming to God and trying to please God. It's telling God, well, this is what I offer. That should be good enough for you. And of course, it doesn't work that way. And the world thinks that, that, that it works that way, um, but it, it really doesn't. So there's this appearance of, of wisdom that really isn't... Um, things at all. So verse 23 of chapter 2, which things indeed have a show of wisdom in will worship and humility, neglecting of the body, not in the honor to the satisfying of the flesh, right? So so not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. This is, this is an appearance of wisdom, right? So uh, that's the word in the ESV, the way it describes it there. It has an appearance of wisdom. It's this, this self-made religion um, that has all its trappings, and of course they're not 
what God is looking for. Now, come back to uh, Genesis chapter 4. The amazing thing is the mercy of our God, that even though Cain came on his own terms and was going to do things the way that he thought he should do them or that he wanted to do them, God was willing to accept his person. And so we read there in verse 5, uh, unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. So God didn't respect Cain's offering. Um, and Cain was very wroth, so he's angry that he's not accepted by God for doing it his way, and his countenance falls. And Yahweh said unto Cain, Why are you wroth, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if not, well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be, the, be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So here we have the way of Cain. It's not accepted, but if Cain was to do well... God would accept him. But, of course, that's not the way that he wants to go. So we have this division in the family of God. I mean, think of this. This is, this, this is the first family, and there is a division in this family. And what drives that division is one wanting to do it his way, and another faithfully, because that's what Hebrews told us, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Now, just come over to Second or First Corinthians chapter eleven, because brothers and sisters and, and young people and friends, when we come to our ecclesial family, we also run into divisions. We do run into schisms that take place amongst us, and what we find here in in First Corinthians eleven is is that the issue is quite often similar. 1 Corinthians 11, and reading there at verse 18, he says this. Um, First of all, when you come together in the ecclesia, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must also be heresies, or factions as the word means, among you, that they which are approved might be made manifest among you. So here we have this fact that there are divisions amongst them. And that, of course, has been the case since the beginning of time. Um, you know, sometimes people will look at the Christadelphian community and say, look, you've got all these factions, all these divisions. You've got, um, well, there's just a, a laundry list of all the different groups that, that, that are there. Um, but that's nothing new. It's always been that way. But notice now the reason. He says there must also be heresies or factions among you. Why? that those who are approved might be made manifest. Now, the word there for approved is doikimos, Strong's number 1384, and it's the idea of the money changers of integrity who would accept nothing counterfeit, men of honor who would only put the genuine full weight of money into circulation because money was always measured by weight. So when we talk about a shackle, um, it's literally a unit of weight. A pound in the British system, a pound was a pound of whatever it was. It was literally a weight. So it's, it's a just weight or a just measure. Those who are approved are people who are using just weights and measures. They're going to be made manifest. And the word there is the word phanerosis, um, which we, of course, know. Uh, it means to be made plainly recognized or known, to be made apparent, evident, to bring something to light or to expose it. So that's why there are going to be divisions amongst us. Just like there was back in the Garden of Eden with Cain and Abel, God has allowed these things so that we can make choices and hopefully make the right choice with the guidance of the scripture. 
Now come over to 1st of John, chapter 2, where we read about one of those divisions in the first century. So when we look at this idea, this grand theme, it's, it's right there in Genesis. It's all the way, as John's writing, the last of the apostles, one of the last letters that is written in 1st of John, chapter 2. And we, we write, read here at verse 19 about the division that was going on in his day. And he tells us that they went out from us. Why? Well, because they were not all of us. But if they had been of us, no doubt they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So here's the issue. They went out. And in going out, they were revealed or made manifest or fanaru for what they were. And it's exactly, if we go back to Genesis, what Cain does. So when we look at this, we think, well, this is the Ecclesia in the first century. They had divisions, they had schisms, and there was changes that took place. Um, but go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and have a look here and see what Cain does. When he's rejected of God, when this doesn't go the way that he wants it to go, he makes a specific choice. So back in Genesis, in chapter 4 now, um, verse 8, Cain talks with his brother, first of all, and uh, it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and he slew his brother. So this is the way it goes. There is a fight amongst them um, and Cain slays his brother. Now, I just want to make a point here. Sometimes we have this little humanistic phrase when we run into problems, whether it's in life or whether it's in ecclesial life or family life or whatever. And, and people say, well, you know, it takes two. I like to always point to Genesis chapter 4 and say, really? Because I don't see Cain um, or Abel bearing any responsibility for what happened here. He is a righteous man. And what it took was the flesh. It doesn't always take two. It takes flesh. And what flesh does is flesh goes against his brother. And, and his motive here is, is seen very clearly. So, so this is the, the first occurrence. Now, let's just go back to 1st of John. Keep your finger in Genesis. Well, I guess it's right at the beginning. You don't really need to think, keep a finger there. But if we go back to 1st of John, chapter 3, we find here, um, this is the message we read in 1st of John, chapter 3 and verse 11, that you have from the beginning that you should love one another. Well, he says, not as Cain who was, and notice the phrasing here, who was of that wicked one. He was the seed of the serpent. One of the reasons Brother Thomas draws that out. So he was of the wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, brothers and sisters, if the world hate you. Right? So here's the deal. He was jealous he was motivated by jealousy. His own works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. So therefore he slew him. So this is what Cain did. And, and so now I just want you to take a breath here. I suppose it's me that needs to take a breath. I rabbit on sometimes. But let's just think about this now. Here we are in Genesis. We have a division that's taking place. We have the seed of the woman. We have the seed of the serpent. We have divisions. We have somebody who goes the way of Cain. He's got his own agenda and does his own thing. And right at the very beginning, we have here now a mark, which I think is fascinating when we look at our subject that we're going to develop over this weekend, God willing. Take a look at Genesis chapter 4 
and verse 15. Yahweh says to Cain, Wherefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And Yahweh set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, the definition there for the word mark is the Hebrew word ot. It is uh, a sign, a signal, a distinguishing mark, a, a token or a warning. So here, right at the beginning, as we have this division of seed of the woman, seed of the serpent, there is a mark that is set on Cain. It distinguishes him from others. So fascinating, in, in my opinion, that we have this mark that is put upon Cain. So there we have it. He is marked. He has this mark set upon him and this defines him. Now, keep going. If we, we go back to Genesis and, and chapter four now and just keep reading there. What does Cain do? Remember what John says? They went out from us because they were not of us. They've gone the way of Cain. Uh, we read of in Jude and so on. Well, here we find what they actually did or what he actually did in, in Genesis chapter four. And we have here in verse 16, then Cain went away from the presence of Yahweh. And the, the literal there is from the faces of Yahweh, the panim, right? From the faces of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So this is what Cain does. He leaves the presence of God and he founds a society. He builds a city and he names that city after the name of his own son. Right. So he is founding a society here and naming it after his own son. So this is the society of Cain that has developed. So we started out. We had the seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. We now have the two sons, Abel. And then we had, of course, Cain. Cain slays Abel. And this thing now projects out. Abel is, of course, dead. And we'll see that Seth is appointed as another seed. But here we have Cain, then he leaves the presence. He goes out from the family of God and goes and founds his own society. And that's what this type of thinking will do. It'll lead us away from the ecclesia to go do something of our own volition so that we can make a name for ourselves. So here we have now the society of Cain. As we just read, he makes a name for himself and he builds a city and names it after his own son. Now, I just want you to turn to Psalm 49, because in Psalm 49, we, we have a little passage here that talks about people who do this kind of thing. So the 49th Psalm, and we find here, if we come down to um, verse 11, this is what man does. So let's start at verse 10. He uh, seemeth to be wise, um, he seemeth, seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool, the brutish man perish, and leave their wealth to others. However, he says, their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, their dwelling places to all generations, they call their lands after their own names. So that's what they do, they call their lands after their own names, nevertheless, Man, um, being in honor, abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. So this is the issue that we have. Um, they're like the beasts that perish. 
So when we consider that, um, you know, they, they think that this is going to go on, their posterity shall go on and on and on, but it's just not going to be that way. They're going to be laid in the grave as he goes on there like a sheep, and, and really they're going to be forgotten. But, verse 15, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, and he shall receive me. But people, others, uh, um, verse 20, man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. So, now, when we take a look at that and, and we consider this and we see how this is going, um, it's just something to consider um, how things have taken place. They call their lands after their own names. Um, they think they're going to continue forever, but they're not. So let's go back to Genesis. Um, let's go back to um, Genesis chapter 4. And we find here in Genesis chapter 4, that there is this this growth of these university cities, right? So these are men of education, right? Because Enoch, his name literally means education. And what we find here is that they go on and they, they are fathers of these university cities. So um, we have in verse 20, um, so this is Lamech, descendant of, of, um, of Enoch. And uh, we, we find there that Lamech took unto him two wives. And uh, verse 20, Ada bare Jabal. He is the father of such as dwell in tents and such as have cattle. So he is the, the minister, you could call him, of homes and agriculture. This is the one who is the father. He's the, the progenitor of, he's the, the, the head boss of those people who are into this type of thing. But then we go on in verse 22. We have here another son, Zilher bear Tubal-Cain. He's an instructor. Notice the phrase there. An instructor. And if you look at the, the, um, the Hebrew in the margin, it's a wetter, uh, somebody who sharpens in, in brass and iron, right? So this is a man who is uh, an instructor or a wetter in brass and iron. These are instruments of death that basically he is creating. Sorry, I missed verse 21. There we had um, Jubal, who is the father of all such as handle the harp and the organ, which of course is uh, music and entertainment. So pretty much it covers the gamut, whether we're talking about building homes, whether we're talking about agriculture, uh, what shall we eat, what we shall we drink, and wherewithal shall we be clothed, uh, music and entertainment, or weapons of war, all of those things are covered by the society of Cain. So that's the one side. So we have that seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent here has persecuted the seed of the woman. He has done so because he's, he's jealous of him. He is motivated by his own things. He's gone his own way. He's left the presence of Yahweh. He's gone out from the family of God and he's founded his own society and he's founded on human wisdom and learning. And just a little caveat here. Yes, brothers and sisters, especially young people, we all need training to get a job. But remember, the university cities of the world were founded by the families of Cain. They were the ones who wanted to do their own thing in the face of God, do it their way. And if you have to go, go with that with your eyes wide open that this is what their plan is, is to indoctrinate minds and thinking with their ways and their thinking. Just be aware of that's right at the beginning in Genesis. In fact, it was Brother Roberts who once made the comment. He says, I was never cursed with a good education. So just remember that it's not all about, you know, MADs and 
PhDs and whatever else after your name. It's about having the seal of God in our foreheads, not necessarily the mark of the beast. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't go to school. We all have to learn somewhere, whether we do an apprenticeship, as I did, whether we uh, go on and, and, and get some training, whatever it is. But try to make it practical and try to keep the world out of your head. Anyway, suffice that is, let's now consider the, the other side of this whole story, which is the family of God. So we, we've had this developing on the one side. Now we want to look at the development on the other side. So following the incident in the garden, you know, we have those two seeds that develop. The second one now is the society of Seth, right? So we've had the society of Cain. And in, in chapter 4 and verse 25, we read, Adam knew his wife again. She bare him a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, uh, whom Cain slew. So she sees right here that this is God's doing. He is the appointer of another seed, right? So he's the seed of the woman. He's not of that wicked one, as we read in John. Rather, he's the seed of the woman. And notice here the parallel, verse 26, he has a son. And he calls the name of his son Enos. It's Enoch. It's the same name. It's education, but it's an entirely different kind of education. You see, because what he's doing here um, is that it says there, um, then began men to call upon the name of Yahweh. Now, if you look in the margin, um, or if you were to look at Elpis Israel, it says, or they began to call themselves by the name of Yahweh. So, so this is the group of people who are naming themselves and framing themselves after Yahweh. They're not interested in setting up their own name. They're not interested in making a name or a place for themselves. They give the glory to God and they call themselves after the name of Yahweh rather than calling their cities after themselves. So it's a completely different way of thinking. Now, if you turn over to chapter 6 and at verse 2, we read there, that we have the sons of God, right? Uh, then the sons of God and see the daughters of men, but just we'll come to that in a moment. But the point here is that they are the sons of God, right? So these are the people who are the family of God. Now, of course, um, it doesn't take long and we have a, uh, a change that's taking place. We have the seed of the woman um, and the seed of the serpent now as, as they're going to develop side by side. So in Genesis chapter 5, just over the page there, in verse 21, we find about this the seed or family of God. Genesis chapter 5, um, we have here in verse 21, uh, we read here of Enoch, who lives uh, 60 and 5 years and begets Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, right? So there's the phrase that we're looking at. He walks with God. That is the kind of person that Enoch is. And, and he's not because God takes him, so he's removed um, so that he won't see a violent death is, is what that seems to be saying there. Um, but he walked with God. Now, we just want to follow this man. Um, just keep your finger in Genesis again. Let's just flick over to um, Hebrews chapter 11. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, what we have here is the, the divine um, commentary on this. As the Apostle Paul, speaking through inspiration, describes to us um, Enoch in verse 5 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had translated him. 
for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So here's a man of the family of God. He pleases God. Now, if you come over to Jude and verse 14, Enoch pops up again. So just as Cain and those who went the way of Cain popped up in Jude, we also have Enoch, who is the family of God. He's also popping up in, in, uh, in Jude. And we read in verse 14, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of saints uh, to execute judgment on the ungodly, and so on and so forth. So here he is. He is a man who is a witness. He's a faithful witness against the apostasy. Now, so there's, there's um, Enoch, and, and we follow down. We had Lamech, who started having all these university cities. Well, here we have um, Enoch, who has uh, uh, one of his descendants in Genesis chapter 6, is also somebody who is described the same way. It's Noah in verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahweh. These are the generation of Noah. Noah is a just man and perfect or upright, as you see the margin says there in his generation. And again, Noah walked with God, right? So when you consider that, he walked with God. Now, if you just turn over the page to chapter 7 um, and verse 1, Noah is told by Yahweh, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So Noah is described as somebody who was seen as righteous by God in his generation. Now, if we were to just um, flick over to... Um, Hebrews chapter 11 again, right in that same little section where we were just looking out with Enoch in Hebrews chapter 11. Should have kept my finger in there. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, we have this description of him. So as we see these two families develop, Hebrews 11 and verse 7, it says this, By faith Noah, when he was uh, being warned of God of things not seen, uh, as yet moved with fear, prepared the ark to the saving of his family and of his and of, of his house, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So before Abraham comes along, we have Noah who who listened to what God said and he believed God and he was motivated to act on that belief. And so he condemns the world um, because he's a preacher, as we're going to see if we just flip over to Second Peter 2, just like Enoch, as he's described in Jude, um, Peter describes Noah also as a witness, right? He was somebody who witnessed against the, the falseness of uh, the society of Cain. So in Second Peter chapter 2 and at verse 5, we read there, God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world uh, of the ungodly. Right. So here we have Noah, who is motivated by faith. He's somebody who is absolutely um, believes God. It's accounted to him for righteousness, just like it will be said of, of um, Abraham later on. And he's described as being a preacher of righteousness. So there's your two families as they develop, but it doesn't take long, of course, for a clash to take place once again, as we saw with Cain and Abel. So if we just take a look now, back in Genesis and chapter 6, we find here that we have uh, this, this great 
problem. In, in chapter 6, verse 2, the sons of God, so there's your seed of the woman, they saw the daughters of men, and there's the seed of the serpent, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all they chose. So here we have, unfortunately, the intermingling of the, the, the saints with the world, right? And, and we have this in, in Exodus chapter 34, and it's, it's a great, um, you know, it's not just a Christadelphianism, and sometimes I've heard people say that, but it's not. This is what the world can do to us. Exodus 34, and we read here in verse 14, he says, Thou shalt worship no other god, for Yahweh, is, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. God is jealous. He doesn't want to share us with others. But you shall break their altars, cut down their images, their groves, and thou shalt worship no other god. Um, that was verse 13, sorry. Lest, he says in verse 15, thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and go a whoring after their gods and do sacrifice after their gods. Um, and one call thee, and thou eat the sacrifice. And thou shalt... Take, or and thou take of their daughters and their sons, and uh, and their daughters go whoring after their gods, and their sons go whoring after their gods, and they shall make uh, basically they're going to make you go whoring after the gods that they have chosen. So, I mean, this is this is the the story, the sad story, many times over. Um, we have it there in in First of Kings chapter one. We won't turn this one up, but in verses six, uh, one to six, Solomon's wives turned away his heart from other gods but do come to psalm 105 106 um because here it just kind of gives us it in in kind of the coles notes version um psalm 106 and uh, if we come over to verse 34 this is what happened to israel they did not destroy the nations whom God, uh, Yahweh, had commanded them, but they mingled among the nations and they learned their works. They served their idols and they became a snare to them. And they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to their devils, to their idols, same word, and uh, shed innocent blood and so on. So they defiled, verse 39, with their own works and they went to whoring after their inventions. And brothers and sisters and young people, this is just a caution. You know, well, it's not a caution, it's a screaming trumpet of alarm, really is that if we involve ourselves with the world and all of its goings on, they will take our hearts away. Now, COVID's come along and everybody's moaning and groaning about COVID and, and what it's done to us. Well, I'll tell you one thing it's done, um, certainly around here, it's shut down all the bars right now. I mean, in BC, where my sister lives, the bars were still open, but the churches were closed. Figure that one out, but anyway. Uh, but in Ontario, it shut down all the bars. It shut down all the sporting events. It shut down all of those things that the movie theaters and all those things that that man involves himself in. But also that a lot of us involve ourselves in our kids are in this sports program and that sports program. And, and not that there's anything wrong with kicking a ball around a little bit and getting some exercises. It's a good thing. But when that becomes who we are and what we do and it defines us that's the problem. And that's what happened in, in the Psalms here. They mingled among the nations and they learned their works and they served their idols. A great caution to us. When COVID goes away, if it does, do not go back to the vomit of the world, right? Do, we've been washed. Do not go back to the world and all of its filth and dirt that sometimes has stuck to us. These things have been stopped 
they've been been put away from us. Um, so let's not go back to them. So back to Genesis, um, just before I digress too far, I've run out of time. Um, back to Genesis chapter 6, um, we have here this, this society. On the flip side, then, we have these great men of renown. There were giants in the earth in those days uh, that came uh, uh, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare to them uh, the same became mighty men, men of renown. And the word there is men of fame, right? So this is what it is. You know, like we look at that today. Everybody wants to be famous. You've got Britain's got talent. I, I, I love the American version, American Idol, right? So idolatry. And, and people want to be famous. They want to be men of fame, the movie stars and all this kind of stuff. Um, that's what the world wants. Well, here, when the sons of God, so there's the seed of the woman, mingled with the daughters of men, their descendants became people of name and of fame and of renown. And they are the Nephilim, um, Nephilim in, in verse uh, four. There, that's what the word giants is or the fallen ones of fame. So this is what happens, right? This is what takes place. And verse five, it tells us the result. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. If that doesn't describe the day and the age in which we live, which our Lord told us would be like the days of Noah, then what does? They were evil continually. The thinking of the serpent had completely penetrated their minds. So much so that verse 12 tells us that all flesh had corrupted God's way upon the earth. And that's the way it had become. All flesh had corrupted his way except for Noah and his little family. And that's what will happen to us if we think that we can survive mingling with the world. Just take a look at Genesis. One teeny tiny little family out of the two seeds that developed and, and spread out and all those children were born and all those generations. By the time you come to this, you've got one pathetic little family as far as numbers goes but mighty that would continue on for eternity. Um, well, some of them anyway. And then you have this whole society that was just standing on its feet and men of fame, men of renown, amazing, amazing people that would all disappear very shortly. So let's just summarize what we've looked at then in this, this couple of groups. We've got these two things, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman that, that develop here. So first of all, we had them the offering of the fruit of the ground versus the offering of the firstling of the flock. So this is the comparison between the two of these. Now I'll make these available afterwards. Um, we'll not quite sure how, but we'll, we'll make these, uh, these screens available afterwards for you. But this is the parallels as we go through. Um, so on the, the, the left-hand side, we've got the, in the red, the, the seed of the serpent. It brings what it wants. It brings of the earth, earthy, right? The other brings what the Lord requires, honoring the principle of flesh being put to death. The firstlings of the flock, uh, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John tells us that the works of Cain were evil, um, whereas his brothers were righteous in 1 John 3, verses 11 to 12. Um, his sacrifice, that is Abel's, was more excellent, whereas Cain's was a self-made religion, voluntary humility. 
He was a liar. He spoke of his own and there was no truth in him. He was a murderer, as we read in Genesis and John and in the latter of John, whereas uh, Abel, his righteous blood was shed. Cain goes the way of Cain. It becomes his own way, a kind of a signature where the others are going the way of Yahweh. All flesh had corrupted his way, which shows you there's the way of Cain and there is the way of Yahweh that Noah and his little family keep. The seed of the serpent uh, called their cities after themselves and they have great education of men. They're, they're the top of the class in all these things. Whereas the seed of the woman name themselves after God rather than trying to make a name for themselves. And their education is the education of God. Now, as we push forward, we have the daughters of men versus the sons of God. And we have their descendants. They are of the wicked one. And as the Lord says to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, right? They were the seed of the serpent. This is the way their minds operate. They are mighty men of name, the seed of the serpent, whereas the woman's seed are just men, upright and righteous. They are wicked and great in their wickedness. Every imagination of their heart is evil continually in, in chapter 6 of Genesis and verse 5. And, and that's why really we cannot be involved in the entertainment industry of this world because that's all it is, evil continually. Whereas we have the seed of the woman who do according to all that God commanded. And that's their thing. They are righteous. They do what the Lord asks. Well, the earth becomes full of violence from the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent. Whereas Noah and Enoch, as it tells us in Jude, were preachers of righteousness. The seed of the serpent corrupts God's way, but the seed of the woman walks with God. So when you look at that as it develops out, that becomes a pattern that we're going to see develop all the way through the scriptures. These were the kinds of things that were going to take place. Well, of course, the flood comes and the flood goes. So this is kind of like as we move on from there, we now have the post-flood society. Brother Thomas called this the antediluvian society, right? So this is the after, uh, or antediluvian was the pre-flood. This is the post-flood, the post-diluvian society. Um, and these are basically a very similar pattern. We have here the kingdom of men that begins to develop. We'll look at it first. So if we just turn over the page to Genesis chapter 8. This is after the flood. Of course, we know that the situation with, with Ham and how he uncovers his father's na nakedness and all of that entails. And uh, his descendants, we come into Genesis chapter 8 and we find there that um, we come to verse 10. I don't think it's Genesis 8 verse 10. I think it's Genesis chapter 10 verse 10, I believe that should be, or 10 verse 8. There you go. There's my dyslexia kicking in. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8. Um, Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth, right? So this is the same word that's used in Genesis 6 verse 4. So he becomes a mighty one in the earth. And verse 9, where he was a mighty hunter. And the word before there is that word, Panim, right? It's it's in the faces of Yahweh. So it's against the face of Yahweh. He's a mighty hunter. Wherefore, it said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, 
before or against the faces of Yahweh. That's the idea that's expressed in those Hebrews words there. So what does he do? Well, verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom is Babel. So here's Nimrod, and he is this mighty hunter. Uh, chapter 10, verse 8, that should read. And the beginning of his kingdom is Babel. And of course, if we just turn over chapter 11, this is, of course, um, when in verse uh, 1, the whole earth was of one language and one speech. So when we come out of the ark, we have one language, one speech, one society. But it doesn't take long before this all splits up. And of course, we read there in chapter 11, verse 2, uh, those who notice the language very similar to the, the, the university cities. Um, they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. And Yahweh came down to see the city, which the the children and the tower, which the men, children of men ha, had built it. So notice here again, the children of men. Right. So here we have the seed of the serpent side of this, who are looking to make them a city and a tower and a name. They want to reach up to heaven. So this is the same thing that we had back in Genesis. You know, desire to make one wise, you'll be like the Elohim. It's this idea of reaching out, trying to be like or above God, a quality with God. And they want to make themselves a name. And that's what they're all about, right? So we have in verse 19 or verse 9 then, um, therefore, is the city called Babel, uh, because um, Yahweh did confound the language as he splits them up now and spreads them all over the place. So this is the beginning of the kingdom of Nimrod, and it is called Babel. Now, of course, he also builds Nineveh and Asher and some other of these cities that will figure later on in the, the city, uh, in, the, in the names of, of those great um, cities that will be coming against uh, the, the people of Israel. So here we have the one side of the society as opposed to the other side of the society. So that's the post-flood society, kingdom of men, seed of the serpent. Um, whereas we have now the other side, which is the seed of the woman. And so we have in Genesis chapter 12, um, we're told here, Yahweh said to Abraham or Abraham, verse one, get the and notice the difference here out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house to a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. It is not Abraham trying to make of himself something great. God says, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless thee. And I will make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Right? So here we see Abraham who's told to get out of his country, his kindred from his father's house. And God would make his name great. And you can see the difference between these two. Completely, one is trying to make their own name great. The other, God is making his name great. And so we see here, as we look at this, chapter 12, what does Abraham do? Does he build a city? Well, no, in verse 7, we find there that Yahweh appeared to Abraham, said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And he builded an altar unto Yahweh. 
So he built an altar to Yahweh instead of a city. And not only that, but he founds a society based on education. What kind of education? Come over to Genesis chapter 18. And this is just before the angels go to destroy Sodom. Um, Genesis 18 verse 18. We read there. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, um, and, and uh, all nations of the earth will call him blessed, or be blessed to him, sorry. Um, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And notice the phrasing here. They shall keep the way of Yahweh to do justice and judgment, that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham all that he had spoken to him of. So here's a man who is keeping God's way. He's not doing it like Cain, his way. Not, he's not making his own way in the world, as some people like to call it. What his focus is, is to do what God wants him to do. Remember Genesis, all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Well, Abraham here is teaching his children God's way. A very, very different kind of outcome um, that we have. And so when we look at him here, was he part of the society? Was he a, a great head of, of society as it was? Well, Hebrews 11, again, commenting as it did on Enoch and on Noah. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13 tells us this. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced that they were, and, and, them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth for they say that such thing uh, they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country and truly if they mean mindful of the country they come out of they might have had opportunity to, to, to return but now they desire a better country that is an heavenly wherefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he hath prepared for them a city so you see the complete difference here god has prepared a city, God has prepared a people, and he will do this. And what they do is they confess they're strangers and pilgrims. They don't really care about this world. They're not interested in what it has to offer. What they're interested in is what does God have to offer? And so we won't look at this one, but we have in Genesis 25, verse 23, two manner of people separating out of uh, the womb of, of Rebekah and um or rachel sorry or rebecca sorry and um one is called jacob whose name is changed to israel which is the ruler with god um and remember uh, back to genesis men called themselves by the name of yahweh so just to summarize this as we we kind of pull these things to, together we have at the the seed of the woman nimrod the mighty hunter or sorry the seed of the serpent versus abraham the father of the faithful we have the beginning of the kingdom is Babel, whereas uh, Abraham is promised that kings will come out of thee, and this is going to be God's doing. The children of men build a tower, and, and it's, it's a city called Babel, whereas Abraham is told to get out of his country. He builds an altar, and we're told he has no continuing city in chapter 13 and verse 14. Um, the seed of the serpent, they strive to make themselves a name, whereas the seed of the woman, God, is going to make Abraham's name great. Ishmael is born after the flesh. Isaac is born after the spirit. We didn't look at that, but that comes up in Galatians chapter 4, verse 23. And these two ways or two peoples are separated out of the bowels of, of Jacob and his wife 
um, or Isaac and his wife Esau, the red, uh, earthly, hairy, cunning hunter, and Jacob, the upright man who has integrity. Uh, his word, his name means innocent or whole or complete. He's or the word upright means um, the one despises his birthright. The other holds on for the blessing. And Esau, God says, I've hated him, but Jacob have I loved. The one is immoral and unholy, whereas the other has his name changed to be Israel, the ruler with God. And God says he is not ashamed to call to be called his God. So that's kind of the process that we've gone through. And again, I hope you didn't scribble that too fast. We will make this available to you. So this is the grand theme that we've been looking at. It's it's these two seeds, right? The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, right? So there was the serpent, his seed, his head that is going to be bruised eventually, and he will bruise the seed of the woman's um, heel. And then on the flip side, we have the, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Uh, her seed, it's going to bruise the serpent's head, and he's going to have that temporary wound of the seed of the serpent. And this is two ways of thinking. It's two minds that will follow through in our studies together as we continue this through today and tomorrow. Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. This is reading the ESV. For to the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile or enmity as the AV puts it to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot versus the spirit in Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. They set their mind on the spirit. They are spiritually minded and that brings life and peace. And of course that leads to two ways that we read about as we looked at these development in, in Jude. We have those who went the way of Cain and rather than this, we have the other way, which we didn't look at, but we will shortly. John 14 verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So you can see this, this theme developing out. And then, of course, we have the two cities, the tale of two cities that runs through the Bible. We have Rome, Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, that great city, uh, which is called Great Babylon. We saw the beginning of it back in Genesis. And we have the new Jerusalem, the other great city, the holy Jerusalem that descends out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And tied to these, there are two citizenships, which we will also develop as we look at these further on. The one we read is the world. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, we walked in times past according to the course of this world, um, among whom we have our conversation or our lifestyle in, in the past, the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were the, by nature the children of wrath, even as others, people just in the world. So that's the, the one citizenship or society. And then the other, of course, is in Ephesians 2 verse 19, which again we'll look at in a future class, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And so that's going to lead, as we follow this through, to two imprints. There is going to be the mark of the beast, which we talked about at the very beginning in Revelation 6, 13 and, and verse 16, and the seal of God, 
which is what we looked at in our reading as we, we followed this through. So these are the themes that they're going to develop out through our classes. And God willing, as we, we go through these, we can see that they're all rooted right the way back in Genesis, that division that takes place, that two ways, two thinking, two citizenships, two cities. And as they run all the way through the scriptures, um, we're going to hopefully, God willing, follow that through the, the different classes and look at these themes that we've just kind of outlined at the end and that will form the basis of what we're going to consider together. So we will uh, we'll stop there and uh, I'll hand the class back over to our presider.